live from the Poly Market Studio in LA. It's the Young Turks. Woo! It's up! Young Turks, Jane Huger, Anika's parent, Francisco Patino. Already people are coming in uh, and joining by hitting that beautiful join button below on YouTube. Uh, and uh, guys, do we have a show filled with it? Sad news, we do, we do. But we also have a show filled with uh, humorous, wonderful, interesting news like, is the Republican Party getting ready to throw Charlie Kirk under the bus? Mm. Jerome's, that's mm. later in the program, okay. And should you be starve maxing, whatever the hell that is? Okay, also later in the show. And did Indisputable just cross a million subscribers on YouTube? Yes, it did. Is the TYT network super strong? Yes. But are we super strong because of you guys? Also, yes. All right, now having said all that, we start with, as unfortunately as usual these days, tragic news from Israel. Let's get to it. Ending Israel's impunity is a moral, political, and legal imperative. Successive Israeli governments have given the Palestinian people only three options. Displacement, subjugation, or death. These are the choices, ethnic cleansing, apartheid, or genocide. But our people are here to stay. That was Riyadh Mansour, Palestine's representative to the United Nations, making his case on the illegality of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory. Now, judges at the International Court of Justice, which is, of course, the UN's highest court, will weigh in on the legality of Israel's occupation of Palestinian lands after the UN General Assembly basically was asked to weigh in on the matter. Now, more than 50 different nation states will present arguments in this case through February 26th. And it's important to keep in mind that this ICJ case is different from the case brought forth by South Africa accusing Israel of genocide. Not only that, this case has to do with all lands that are supposed to belong to Palestinians, including the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and the Gaza Strip. Whereas the previous South African case before the ICJ mostly has to do with Israel's war on Gaza. With that said, let's take talk a little bit about how this case came to be. So the ICJ's 15 judge panel has been asked to review Israel's occupation, settlement, and annexation, including measures aimed at altering the demographic composition, character, and status of the holy city of Jerusalem, and from its adoption of related discriminatory legislation and measures. Now, the judges are expected to take roughly six months to basically issue an opinion on this request, which also asks them to consider the legal status of the occupation and its consequences. And it's, and 
Look, whatever the ICJ decides in this case, it's important to keep in mind that it's non-binding. But Palestinians are hoping that should the ICJ side with them, it could apply more pressure on Israel to end its siege on Gaza, end the brutal war on Gaza. Israel is not reacting well to this. For instance, they are not attending the hearings at all. Israel did, though, send a five-page written statement published by the court on Monday in which it said an advisory opinion, that's what the ICJ would be handing down, an advisory opinion would be harmful to attempts to resolve the conflict because the questions posed by the UN General Assembly, they believe, were prejudiced. Netanyahu's office said in a statement on Monday that the hearings were, well, that the hearings were, sorry, I just lost my place. On Monday, that the hearings were an infringement on Israel's right to defend itself against existential threats and accused Palestinian officials of using the hearings to dictate the results of the diplomatic settlement without negotiations. Netanyahu is also very clearly committed to preventing the formation of a Palestinian state. Historically, he has done so. He has, in fact, also funded Hamas in an effort to do away with the credibility of the you know governing Palestinian body in the West Bank. And Israel's government also approved a declaration Sunday that says that the country won't recognize a Palestinian state. Benjamin Netanyahu said the decision came in light of remarks that have been heard recently in the international community about an attempt to unilaterally force a Palestinian state on Israel. I just want to clarify that based on international law, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, East Jerusalem, they are recognized as Palestinian authority, part of Palestinians territory, not that of Israel's. But Israel has continued to break international laws in building settlements in these territories while also controlling what goes in and out of Gaza, not just during this war, but well before the war as well, Cenk. So first to the speech that the Palestinian gentleman gave. Look, his points are inarguable. Israel is either saying leave, go into the Sinai Desert or another country, that's ethnic cleansing. That's the definition of ethnic cleansing. You can't. You can argue against words, but that's what you're left with. Or, you know, if you fight back, obviously that's terrorism and it's violence, so you'll be killed. And so, Israel, America think that makes sense. And a lot of people think that makes sense. Okay, so you can't do that. You, you've got that things, or you could just go with subjugation, apartheid, or whatever you want to call it. It's an occupation. Is it an occupation? That's that's the issue at hand, right? Well, what the hell else would it be? A day at the picnic? I mean, what are we talking about here? This is absurd. Does Israel control the borders? Yes. Do they control the water, power, electricity, the food, everything that gets into Gaza and the West Bank? Yes. Do they have police authority over it? Yes. Do they have military authority over it? Yes. Well, what the hell is it if it's not an occupation? What difference does it make what you call it? Look, if you want to tell yourself pretty little lies about like, oh no, I bet the Palestinians love being occupied. Plus, they're savages who needed to be occupied, etc. You can tell yourself all sorts of lies, but you can't say it's not an occupation. So the last trick that they have is, oh no, 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 no. There was no Palestinian state to begin with because we prevented it, and we should. Now, UN gave Israel a state, and that's awesome, and the UN had every right to do that. But the UN cannot give the Palestinians a state. So you you have to take one of those three awful, horrible options because the only option that makes sense is a diplomatic one. 
That's the one the Palestinians are pursuing legitimately and through the actual diplomatic channels. And Israel goes, how dare you? You're prejudiced. Okay, so the only option that's peaceful and makes sense is a diplomatic one. And your answer to that is you're anti-Semitic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I know, I know for a lot of folks that's like super powerful and they think that ends the conversation and it's over. I already called you anti-Semitic, we're moving on, right? But for the rest of the planet, it's an absurd, insane thing to say, well, I subjugated you for 75 years. That's because you're the bad guy and I'm the good guy. So of course it's an occupation. And look, two more things about that. They say, well, it, there was never a Palestinian state. It was originally part of Jordan and Egypt, so we're not occupying. Well, wait a minute, what does that mean? Does that mean Jordan and Egypt are occupying? But they have no control over the military, the borders, etc. You do. And if you're saying that they're actually not Palestine, but a part of Jordan and Egypt, great, I have a perfect solution. And they should propose this at the ICJ. If that is, and that is the legal argument that Israel's making now. Egypt and Jordan should go in and go, we accept they are part of Egypt and Jordan. And the very next day, we have now given them over to the Palestinians. It is now a Palestinian state. So which one is it? Are you occupying or is it Egypt and Jordan's land? Let's make a deal right now. And of course, the answer is none of the above. We're never going to give it to you. And in fact, today, as Anna just told you, the entire government of Israel declared there will be no Palestinian state. We're not an ally for peace. All we want is war and occupation. And let's be honest, theft of the land and the water, which is another part of the story that we're going to get to later. And we're just going to take it and we're going to kill whoever is there. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. But if you dare call it any of the correct names, we'll call you prejudiced. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the ICJ's decision here will not be binding. In fact, in the past, the ICJ has issued opinions that went against some of Israel's actions, including building barriers between Israel and Gaza, for instance. They considered that wall to be illegal, but Israel just ignored it because, again, Israel can ignore it. The ICJ's decision is unfortunately non binding. What is not non binding is what is decided by the UN Security Council. And the UN Security Council now, on multiple occasions, has voted in favor of a ceasefire which the United States comes in and vetoes immediately. The, the United States has a power to single-handedly, unilaterally veto any decision made by the UN Security Council. With that in mind, I do wanna go back to what the reality is for Palestinians living under occupation. So I turn to a Palestinian political analyst named Noor Oday, who has experienced occupation in Gaza firsthand. And I think it's really important for everyone to know what it is like to be a Palestinian living in Gaza, where everything is controlled by the government of Israel, even if they don't have boots on the ground there. And they didn't prior to this war because they pulled out in 2005. They still have a tremendous amount of control over the lives of Palestinians living there. Let's watch. Living under occupation means that Israel decides where you can live, how you can live, and where you can move. It decides the routine you have, 
on your in your day in your week about your grocery shopping because your grocer and your vegetable store only has goods when the Israeli crossings inside the West Bank operate. So you operate on Israeli on the Israeli calendar, not the Palestinian one. Israel decides who and how you can get married. Because if you happen to have a West Bank ID and you fall in love with someone from Jerusalem, you'll have a very hard time getting married because your spouse might lose their ID or your children might not have one at all. If you happen to fall in love with someone who carries a Gaza ID, your only option really is to move to Gaza because there's no way that they can move to the West Bank. So obviously living under those types of conditions has been untenable, unbearable for Palestinians. The idea that a different country governed by a different government should have the ability to decide how much food comes into your territory is absurd to say the least. So. You know, tensions have been simmering for a long time as a result of these occupation of this occupation. And I want to also correct myself because I remembered a detail incorrectly. Earlier I said that the ICJ had handed out a decision in regard to a wall that was built between Gaza and Israel. It was actually the West Bank. So in July of 2004, the court found that Israel's separation wall in the West Bank violated international law and should be dismantled, though it still stands this day. So one other note that I'll mention, according to Reuters who reported on this story, while Israel has ignored legal opinions in the past, this one could increase political pressure over its war in Gaza, which has killed about 29,000 Palestinians. But considering the fact that this decision will be handed down in the summer, sometime in June or July, honestly, time is of the essence and there needs to be a ceasefire immediately. I mean, considering the high death toll, civilian death toll there, the fact that their infrastructure in Gaza has been completely dismantled, destroyed. Hospitals are no longer functioning. The largest hospital in southern Gaza, the Nasser Hospital Complex in Khan Yunis is no longer functioning as a result of the IDF's raids there recently. We'll cover that in more detail later in the show. But the situation is dire and there needs to be a ceasefire immediately. Yeah, one of our members wrote in at tyt.com, don't shoot on the goalkeeper, wrote in six months, there won't be any more Palestinians left in six months. Now that's hyperbole, but 1% of the population is already dead, 25% of the population is already starving. Will there be tens of thousands of more dead Palestinians by then? Probably. And Israel will kill them and then say that they're innocent and that Hamas made them do it. Hamas twisted their arm into killing tens of thousands of Palestinians and destroying almost all the buildings in Gaza. Okay, so Anna said that Israel didn't go. Yeah, they didn't, but they sent their proxy, America. And America is, of course, trying to disrupt the proceedings, vote against anything that makes sense as rational, decent, sane. Has any degree of morality? Palestinians want rights? No! Go back to being occupied. Now, guys, look, if you think, hey, that sounds harsh, I mean, you can't say that about beloved Israel. All right, let's flip it. Let's flip the ethnicity, see how, if this makes sense. And if you're going to catch feelings over just simple words and logic, that's up to you, okay? But if the Palestinians or Arabs or Muslims had been occupying Jews for 
75 years and brutalizing them and humiliating them and killing them and murdering 29, oh, sorry, killing 29,000 people, mainly women and children that were Jewish, killing women and children over and over and over again, all while laughing their ass off, going, it's an accident. We hoped it was another accident. And they're murdering those poor Jews. What wouldn't we do to save those Jews? And would we accept the idea? Well, hey, 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 Jews, it's not an occupation. We just changed the word, so it's okay. And you should know your role. Either you're gonna get driven into that Egyptian desert again in history, right? Or you're gonna accept that the Jews should be ruled by the Palestinians. The Arabs know that you guys are too dangerous and too violent. And besides which, we offered you a deal 20 or 25 years ago. You didn't take it, ha <laughs> ha, too late, subjugation forever. We would never accept that because we're decent human beings. And that pains me to even say out loud. Why doesn't it pain people when it's Palestinians? We can say it out loud about the Palestinians and the American brutal, awful, disgusting American government in this case can go and say, yeah, those Palestinians, they're dirt. They don't matter. We don't want to give them any rights. And we're gonna make sure that they are occupied for as long as it takes. And, and Israel just declared, no Palestinian state, only war and occupation. But the people who are occupied are the guilty ones. Again, imagine if they were Jewish. The Jews are guilty, they should be occupied, they should be killed, and they should never get their rights. We would go out of our minds and justifiably so. But we're not going out of our minds for the Palestinians. In fact, we're the ones doing it to the Palestinians. Be honest, for once in yeah. your life, be honest. You don't think Palestinian lives matter at all if you're on that side of that equation. And so you can say, "Oh my God, my feelings were hurt because you said things that were obviously true. Okay, but that's just the fact of the matter. Those poor Palestinians are gonna get slaughtered. No one's gonna come to help them. And America is gonna be leading the charge of making sure that they never have any rights and are slaughtered to no end. But we'll pretend that Israel's our ally and a democracy and the good guys as they continue this slaughter. A few other things I need to mention because it's super important. Number one, last year at the Munich Security Conference, there was a lot of talk about the need to enforce international laws. Of course, the topic of discussion there was Russia's invasion into Ukraine. And obviously, I agree that international laws are incredibly important, whether it has to do with Russia and its invasion into Ukraine, or what if it has to do with how Israel is carrying out this war in Gaza. But there was no talk of Israel's war on Gaza during the Munich Security Conference this year. It just happened, and they wrapped it up by mostly pretending like this war isn't happening. Which by the way, it's the Munich Security Conference at a time when we're seeing a broader regional war happening as a result of countries in that region retaliating against Israel's slaughter in Gaza. You have Syria involved, you have Lebanon involved, you have Iraq involved. Iran obviously involved since Iran is backing these militias that are retaliating against Israel. So it's just, it is amazing to me how the uplifting or, or the emphasis, I should say, of international law just kind of goes away. Everyone seems to forget about it 
when international law is inconvenient in a certain setting, right? And certainly when it comes to Israel, it is inconvenient for the Munich Security Conference. The other thing I wanted to just quickly mention is that Israel has granted gas exploration licenses in areas considered to be within Palestine's maritime boundary. Benjamin Netanyahu has issued six of those licenses in Palestinian territory. So I really don't think you can discount some of the financial purposes here, some of the business interests that play a role in what's happening in Gaza as well. And we'll do a lengthier story on that probably tomorrow. But the US in response to the UN Security Conference, I'm sorry, in response to the US, the UN Security Council calling for an immediate ceasefire has decided to respond to it by a temporary ceasefire or with a with a temporary ceasefire, which I look, I don't think Netanyahu is interested in any ceasefire. I don't think it's gonna happen, but we'll see how that plays out. The Security Council is set to vote on that Tuesday morning. Yeah, on the stealing of the, oh, sorry, you can't say that if it's the state of Israel. On the taking of the natural resource that the world community believes is Palestine's. If any other country did it, Turkey, America, Russia, China, any other country took someone else's natural resources and did not compensate them for it, instead took all of the money and kept it for themselves, we would call that country, we would say that that country is participating in theft. Israel's broken almost every international law there is. They are making a mockery of international law because they're powerful. They have America behind it, and America is the most powerful nation on earth. So we say none of the rules apply to us or to our one amazing ally, Israel, who has broken every single one of them. But the rules apply to you. Now, world, you have to do as we tell you. I mean, this is getting preposterous. And what do you want me to call the taking of the natural resources of the Palestinians in the water? They already gave the contracts out, like they own it. You think we're the Palestinians are going to get it back? Is that, no, it's over. What do you want me to call it if you don't want me to call it theft? And is it me calling it theft or a taking or awful or illegal or whatever the, or lovely. Oh, It's beautiful that they took Palestinian natural resources and gave them nothing. They just took it and they took the profit. What do you want me to call it? Or, or maybe the problem isn't the messenger. The problem is Israel's doing it in the first place. And we should stop Israel from doing that. Otherwise, it looks awful for Israel and America and doesn't help them at all. But if you want to enable really stupid actions that are deeply illegal and deeply immoral, that's on you, brothers and sisters. All right, we got to take a break, but when we come back, we'll revisit the Nasser Hospital complex in Khan Yunis, which is now being described as no longer functional. We'll talk about what the Israeli side of the equation is saying about the situation and more when we come back. Back on TOT Jake, Anna MK22NK, thank you for joining, appreciate it. And Sam Monica, thank you for gifting five memberships on YouTube. You guys are amazing. Hit that join button, we appreciate you. Casper. 
People in the Nassau hospital in Khan Yunis, but eight have reportedly died from a lack of oxygen and sewage is flooding emergency rooms. Israel has been searching the complex for the bodies of hostages they believe were held there by Hamas. And the Palestinian Red Crescent to society is warning that the Al-Amal hospital in Khan Yunis could also be out of service soon. It has been under siege for weeks. Well, the IDF search for Israeli hostages at the Nasser Hospital complex in Khan Yunis has turned up short. They have so far failed to find a single hostage. But nonetheless, the hospital complex, the largest hospital in the southern Gaza region and in the town of Khan Yunis is no longer functional following Israeli raids. Now, hundreds of people, including dozens of members of the hospital staff, have been swept up in mass arrests by the Israeli Defense Forces. We'll get to details on that in just a moment. But first, let's talk about the state of the hospital itself. Gaza's health ministry said 136 patients and 25 staffers were stuck at the hospital without electricity, water, food, and resources for medical needs. The head of the World Health Organization said the hospital is not functional anymore. And Gaza officials said eight patients died since Israeli troops stormed the complex on Friday and a power outage shut off the oxygen. You have to remember there are you know Palestinian civilians, their patients who were reliant on machines to provide them oxygen. So once the power goes out, once the oxygen runs out, their lives are over. So that's part of the reason why you see some of the patients losing their lives as a result of these hospital raids. The head of the World Health Organization continues to say that the cost of delays will be paid by patients' lives, adding that at least 20 people needed to be urgently referred to other hospitals to receive health care. Now, Israel's attacks on hospitals in the Gaza Strip have basically crippled the medical system in the region. Now, doctors and staff are forced to treat trauma injuries on the floor. They're operating without anesthesia, considering the fact that they don't have anesthesia or other medical supplies that they need to provide proper care. And they're also watching patients die when the power goes out and the oxygen depletes. Now, Israel justified its attacks on the Nasser Hospital by claiming that hostages were being kept there. But Israeli forces have not found the bodies of any hostages. And it's being reported as bodies of hostages because, I mean, how are you going to save hostages if you're bombing and shelling the hospital? Now, Israel, again, is justifying its attacks. They're also speaking to US lawmakers about their raid on the hospital. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant told Senators Chris Coons and Richard Blumenthal that Israeli troops have operated with great precision around Nasser and another hospital, Al-Amal, to apprehend militants with no resulting civilian casualties. A statement from his office said, about the senator's Tel Aviv visit Sunday. Now, look, guys, obviously, no civilian casualties is a lie. We have good reason to believe that's a lie. I just shared details about eight patients at that hospital losing their lives as a result of the raids and as a result of the power going out because of the raids. 
Also, there's other evidence that we've shared with you prior to doing this story today. For instance, a strike slammed into one of the hospital's wards. The strike killed one patient and wounded six others, all of whom were already being treated for previous wounds. According to Dr. Khalid Alser, one of the remaining surgeons at Nasser Hospital. This is reporting from last week from the Associated Press. It's very likely he could be one of the doctors who was swept up in the mass arrests of hospital workers, doctors and staff. Prior to that, The Intercept also reported that according to the Ministry of Health, seven civilians were killed on Monday. This again was last week in the courtyard of the hospital and another six in the two days prior. Two other civilians were killed on Tuesday in the hospital complex. And I just want to remind you all of what the scene looked like as the raids were underway. This is a video that was shot by one of the healthcare workers in the hospital. Let's take a quick look. So that same video, there's a lengthier version which we aired last week, shows that the hospital had partially collapsed as a result of the raids. Doesn't seem so precise to me, considering the fact that you know we're talking about a doctor who was still in the facility as it was being bombed. And I also want to just note that everyone should read an incredible piece that was published by the Los Angeles Times by an American doctor from Virginia who actually went into Gaza to provide care. She was there for you know, about 10 days and the piece is titled, I'm an American doctor who went to Gaza. What I saw wasn't war, it was annihilation. And I wanna read a few excerpts from that piece in just a moment because it's important to know from an American what the situation on the ground really looks like. Before I do though, Jenk, I'd love for you to weigh in on Israel's allegation or Israel's claims that their raids were precise. Yeah, so I want you to stick around to hear what that doctor said because it's amazing and it gives you a sense of what's actually happening. And I want to read you something from the United Nations that explains the sexual assault and humiliation that Palestinian women and girls are going through in a minute too. But to be fair to Israel's claim that they rode in on unicorns and handed out flowers at the hospital. That's preposterous and anyone believing IDF is so biased they can't see straight. No one else on planet Earth believes a word that they're saying. We see the video of the hospital being bombed. We see human rights groups saying that, yeah, of course, once they lost power, eight people died. Let alone the fact that they laid siege to it, let alone the fact that there's 29,000 people dead, let alone the fact that all the other hospitals have been bombed, let alone the fact that they're doing now controlled demolition of the of almost all of Gaza, the universities, the colleges, the mosques, the schools, everything. Look, people, when I talk to people outside the country, they're like, are you guys still debating <laughs> like hilarious Israeli propaganda? Like, are do Americans, did all of your eyes get gouged out? Do you not see that all of Gaza is leveled? We're still having this debate as to what Israel's intentions are. Well, no one else on earth is because they still have their eyes and ears and they could clearly see what a brutal genocide that's happening. But wait till you hear the details.
So going back to the op-ed that was penned by an American doctor who provided healthcare to wounded Palestinians in Gaza. Her name is Irfan Galaria. She's a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. And here are some highlights from the piece that I think you should know about. So she notes that she entered the Gaza Strip on January 29th and was there for 10 days. She writes that as we approached the European Gaza hospital, there were rows of tents that lined and blocked the streets. Many Palestinians gravitated toward this and other hospitals hoping it would represent a sanctuary from the violence. They were wrong. A hospital designed to accommodate about 300 patients was now struggling to care for more than 1,000 patients and hundreds more seeking refuge. She continues to write, I began work immediately performing 10 to 12 surgeries a day, working 14 to 16 hours at a time. We operated in unsterile settings that would have been unthinkable in the United States. We performed amputations of arms and legs daily using a giggly saw, a Civil War era tool, essentially a segment of barbed wire. Remember, they're amputating limbs from literal children. It's it's just so brutal reading about this. Many amputations could have been avoided if we'd had access to standard medical equipment. It was a struggle trying to care for all the injured within the constructs of a healthcare system that has utterly collapsed. And you know, you also have the head of the World Health Organization saying that who is trying to get humanitarian aid into the hospital to provide aid to the patients who remain there. And they have been denied entry. They've been blocked repeatedly by the IDF and the Israeli government. Cenk. Yes, well, um, the doctor also explained that uh, they brought in children, five to eight year olds uh, who had been shot in the head seemingly by snipers. Unless they all coincidentally, you know, the Israeli military is the worst military in the world, if you believe Israel. They always miss, or almost always miss. They never intend to kill civilians, yet they kill more than anyone else, and 20, 25 times as many civilians as Hamas. But when it comes to missing, they magically find five year olds' brains and put a bullet right through it. What an, and a series of them, five to eight years old, they're all dead with bullet holes in their heads. But I'm sure it was yet another accident. So speaking of accidents, now let's go to the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner. They write about hundreds of Palestinian women and girls and how Israeli officials are treating them. I am now going to give you a direct quote. Many have reportedly been subject to inhuman and degrading treatment, denied menstruation pads, food and medicine, and severely beaten. On at least one occasion, Palestinian women detained in Gaza were allegedly kept in a cage in the rain and cold without food. Women in cages, okay, we're not done yet. We are, quote, we are particularly distressed by reports that Palestinian women and girls in detention have also been subjected to multiple forms of sexual assault, such as being stripped naked and searched by male Israeli army officers. At least two female Palestinian detainees were reportedly raped while others were reportedly threatened with rape and sexual violence, the experts said. They also noted that photos of female detainees in degrading circumstances were also reportedly taken by the Israeli army and uploaded online. Remember that when Hamas committed sexual assault along with the murder and degradation, etc. that happened on October 7th, 
that justified killing 29,000 Palestinians, destroying all of Gaza, and doing all of this back. You see how that logic never ends, then the violence never ends. And both sides do it to each other endlessly. Now, if you think that the Palestinians are the violent ones, the Palestinians are the ones that are the powerful, that are victimizing tiny little Israel who can't defend itself. And that Israel has never done anything wrong. They're filled with angels who are just constantly trying to protect Palestinian civilians. But oh golly gee, they hit him in the head with a bullet. Or they raped them, or they locked him in a cage, or they stripped him naked, whether it's the men or the women. And made fun of them by putting their pictures online. Golly gee, I wonder how that happened. But I'm sure none of that happened, even though every authoritative independent source says that it did. But here in America, the reason I get upset, other than the fact that these people are being brutalized and no one in power cares. The people in power in this country are monsters. They're the worst people on earth. They don't care about other human beings at all. They fund these atrocities through our taxpayer money. But I'm also sick of the gaslighting, where the Palestinians are the bad guys. And the people doing this 75 years of occupation, humiliation, and now tens of thousands of dead innocent women and children are purely good guys. No, we're all human beings. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. America has given Israel in essence absolute power. And not only is it brutalizing the Palestinians, but it's also corrupting the core of Israel. It doesn't do anyone any good. But drunk on power, America and Israel continue to do mass violence with no check in sight. When we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about what the rhetoric in regard to the war in Gaza is like here in the United States among our elected officials, our elected politicians. That includes the governor of New York who said something so horrible and ugly recently, it should shock Americans, but unfortunately, we live in a society that seems to think that this kind of brutality toward Palestinians is totally fine. We've got that and more coming up. Don't miss it. All right, back on TYT. Uh, Jenk, Anna, and, and Bronco gifted five memberships on YouTube. We appreciate you. Anna, what's next? Well, we've got some news out of New York. Uh, it also has to do with the war on Gaza and some unfortunate statements made by the governor of New York. New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, is walking back a rather disturbing analogy that she made just last week to seemingly justify Israel's complete obliteration of the Gaza Strip. Now, here she is just last Thursday speaking at an event for the United Jewish Appeal Federation of New York, first reported by The Forward. I'm from Buffalo, anybody realize that? If Canada someday ever attacked Buffalo, I'm sorry, my friends, there would be no Canada the next day, right? Right? I, I love Canada, but we did have the War of 1812 and they did burn Buffalo, so there might be a little conflict here. But think about that. That is a natural reaction. You have a right to defend yourself and to make sure it never happens again. And that is Israel's right. 
So we'll unpack that statement in just a moment. But first, some more context. Hochul had been addressing the annual UJA Lawyers Division event at a hotel in New York City. The New York Times reports that the event was geared towards supporting the foundation's critical work in response to mounting needs on the ground in Israel and ongoing needs in New York and around the world, according to its website. Now, the governor's comments, understandably, led to a lot of backlash, okay? For instance, you have the Jewish Voice for Peace, the Buffalo chapter of the organization calling her words disgusting, saying they have no words. We, your Jewish constituents in Buffalo, New York are beyond appalled, Kathy Hochul, ceasefire now. Mehdi Hassan also weighed in and had strong words for the governor saying, Insane and yes, by definition, genocidal rhetoric from the governor of New York. Amazing how support for Israeli aggression warps even liberal hearts and minds, which is unsurprising to me. I mean, this has been an ongoing issue even among liberals. I mean, just think about you know the, the Clintons, Hillary Clinton, for, for example, has been um, a staunch advocate of Israel and any type of aggression Israel carries out against Palestinians. The UJA Federation of New York, meanwhile, thanked the governor for always standing with the Jewish community and against anti-Semitism and hate in New York. That is a good thing to stand up for, right? To ensure that people, including um, the Jewish community in New York, feel safe and is protected against anti-Semitism. But that's not what her statements were about. They weren't about fighting back against anti-Semitism in the United States or in New York. It was about justifying the war crimes that are currently being committed by the Israeli government as we speak, by the Israeli Defense Forces as we speak. Israel absolutely has the right to defend itself, as does any country whose sovereignty or security has been violated. But at the same time, Defending yourself by carrying out war crimes, by slaughtering innocent civilians, including women, children, and innocent men who have done absolutely nothing wrong is unacceptable. Indiscriminate bombing, as our own president, Joe Biden, had a moment of clarity in mentioning Israel doing. That is not a justified way in protecting yourself. If anything, This continues to jeopardize the security of Israel moving forward, considering the aggression and hostility that will be directed toward Israel and has been directed toward Israel since they carried out their siege of Gaza, since you have Iran-backed militias retaliating against Israel as a result of all of that. So it's just brain rot all around to justify what is currently happening in Gaza. Yes, Israel has a right to defend itself. How it defends itself is where the question lies. And currently, this isn't about defense. This is about wiping Palestinians out of that territory, doing ethnic cleansing. And I think Israel's been pretty clear about that. Yeah, I like the Canada analogy because it clarifies the thinking on it, right? So let's say that Canada had bombed Buffalo. I mean, that would be bizarre, and but I would be livid. We'd have stories about moms and daughters and children that died together and all the awful things that happened, right? So that's why I would try to murder at least 10,000 people in Vancouver, 10,000 in Ottawa, 10,000 in Toronto, because just in case, you know, and I hear that the guys who did the bombing were somewhere in there. I mean, maybe a couple of them were in Vancouver. So we just blew up half of Vancouver because according to Hoko's logic, If anyone attacks us from a certain geographic area, we should murder innocent civilians in that area ad nauseum, 
ad infinitum. I mean, maybe we'll get a couple of the bad guys too. Prob may well, I mean, they're under the ground, they're in the tunnels. Probably not, but maybe, maybe. And then we could just send our giant armies and then we can kill grandmothers and little babies. And when we bomb the buildings in Ottawa and Calgary, the, the, the cement will collapse in and crush babies' heads. But hey, they had it coming. They had it coming because a couple of them or a bunch of them, a whole bunch of them killed in terrible ways people in Buffalo. That's why we killed people who didn't do that. And then imagine we wiped out 80% of the buildings in Canada, just freaking just leveled the entire country. And then we went, ha ha, Canada, innocent civilians, you're all dead. And by the way, from now on, we're occupying you. Uh, to the end of time, you'll no longer have any rights. You'll have to ask permission for everything. If you do anything that we don't like, we'll cut off all your power, electricity, food. We'll starve you, humiliate you, etc. Yeah, that analogy seems just right. Now, would anyone in their right mind do that to Canada? Even if they bombed Buffalo, even if they went into Buffalo and killed 1,200 people, nobody in their right mind would do that. To Canada, because Canadian lives matter. They're pretty similar to us. They look like us. They're right next to us. They speak like us. They're good Western lives. They're precious and valuable, and they should be. Palestinian lives, on the other hand, well, you see what's happening, and Governor Hochul sees what's happening, and she celebrates it. So, look, this is obviously just such a bleak, terrible story, and it's heartbreaking to see elected lawmakers and politicians say things like this. But I'm going to choose to focus on the silver lining here which is the fact that she received so much backlash over her statements that she felt no choice but to issue an apology. So that gives me hope that there are a lot of good people in the country who are speaking out against this type of rhetoric and this type of support for the brutal acts that are being committed in the Gaza Strip. Now in response to the outcry, Hochul semi apologized for her analogy saying in a statement on Friday night, she said she regretted using an inappropriate analogy that I now realize could be hurtful to members of our community and apologize for her poor choice of words. She added, while I have been clear in my support of Israel's right to self-defense, I have also repeatedly said and continue to believe that Palestinian civilian casualties should be avoided and that more humanitarian aid must go to the people of Gaza. And for just a little more context into this story, back in October, Governor Hochul took a two-day trip to Israel where she met with Benjamin Netanyahu. A nonprofit was originally going to foot the bill for that trip, but in the end, it was taxpayers in New York who ended up picking up the tab. Okay, I'm gonna ask one last question that'll horrify people. If it's you have a right to defend yourself with maximum unlimited force, like any attack allows just as much damage, as much murder and mayhem as you want, because you have a right to defend yourself. At what point should the Turks have stopped the Armenian genocide? Because the Armenian rebels did attack the Ottoman Empire. And so that would trigger the right to self-defense. At what point in the massacres, and the ethnic cleansing and the genocide, would their right to self-defense, the Ottomans, the Turks, their right to self-defense end? Is there no end to a right to self-defense? In which case, was it not a genocide? Were the Turks just defending themselves? 
Now, I would argue that that is an outrageous thing to say. I think a lot of people would agree with me. So I'm asking the question, at what point does their so-called right to self-defense end and a genocide begin? By the way, the parallels, you keep bringing up the Armenian genocide and Jake, I wanna give you a lot of credit for doing that because the parallels are pretty amazing. So, you know, just like Palestinians basically engaging in these uprisings here and there ever so often, Armenians did the same and there were massacres like the Adana massacres that happened prior to the Armenian genocide being carried out. And so it's not like Armenians out of nowhere decided to attack the Turks. And just like in this case, it's not like this war started on October 7th. This has been something that's been going on for decades and decades. It has to do with occupation, persecution, being treated, Palestinians being treated as second class citizens. So. I don't know, maybe in a Wednesday deep dive, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that situation with the Adana massacres, because I think that it's so telling how similar the stories are, especially with what's happening in the West Bank right now. But thank you for bringing that up because it's a really good comparison. Look, I'll ask one more question that people find outrageous, but I literally, I don't know the answer to this. So were the Armenians terrorists? Or did they have a right to rebel against an empire that had been occupying them for hundreds of years? So I I don't know that we have answers to these questions. And I'm pretty sure the answers are not consistent or principled. So could the Armenians, did they have to accept that occupation for the rest of time peacefully? Should the Turks still be occupying the Armenians? Because if the Armenians cannot defend themselves, does the right of self-defense go only in one direction and not the other direction? These are very difficult questions, especially when you're on the wrong side of the equation. So let's wrap the first hour up a little bit early because when we come back for the second hour, we're going to leave the topic of the war on Gaza and focus on other news, especially domestic news, including an update on the migrants in New York who had been caught on camera assaulting NYPD officers. Apparently, some of them have been rearrested, sent to Rikers. I wanna give you the details on that and more when we come back.